So anybody who knows us, Roxy, knows that we are both pretty steeped in Christian culture professionally and personally. Not just Christian, evangelical. (laughs) Yeah. And so this word, evangelical. The E word. The E word. We both had these kind of quintessential evangelical upbringings. I know. It's weird to think about now because I just thought I was a Christian. Right. I feel like we have to talk about what we do with the E word. It's become a cringy word in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You know, even our illustrious podcast producer. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. Said, (laughs) why do you guys always get like this weird look on your face (laughs) when you're called evangelical or we use that word? There's usually some kind of like giggling slash like side eye, like, oh, I'm not that kind of evangelical. (laughs) Exactly. But for a while, I would say I was comfortable with the word evangelical. So did something change about the movement or did we change? Right. I will answer you. But first, let's intro the podcast. Awesome. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two single Christian women living in New York, trying to chase our dreams without losing our devotion. I'm Caitlin Beatty. And I'm Roxy Stone. Here on Saved by the City, we are all about figuring out how Heartland Christianity can work in the heart of Gotham. I think to start, what is an evangelical? (laughs) Like, what do we even mean when we say that? Yeah. One of the core classic definitions comes from this British historian, David Bebbington. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. I do indeed. (laughs) The Bebbington quadrilateral. Yeah. Uh, We're going to put each other to the test. Obviously, there are four, hence the name quadrilateral. What comes to mind? Biblicism. The belief that the Bible has everything you need for salvation. And is inerrant. Mm -hmm. Activism. This is our faith should really animate all parts of our lives, including sort of how we live out our morality in the world. So that can be like a sexual ethic, Mm -hmm. but that also includes a real drive to evangelize Mm -hmm. um, because we have this belief in this as the foundational core truth and a big part of the evangelical spirit is then to share that truth with others and Mm -hmm. to seek their conversion hence conversionism yes this idea that there you need to have a born-again experience and you live a changed life from that which leads us to the final one crucicentrism that our salvation is through the bodily sacrifice of jesus christ who is the son of god and his resurrection Mm -hmm. um, and ascension into heaven Mm mm-hmm That was really succinct. Well, there you have it. That's evangelicalism. Evangelicalism. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. (laughs) I think when when you and I think back to our childhoods, we, of course, don't think about (laughs) David Bevington. Or his quadrilateral, for that matter. (laughs) Get your quad out of here. Um, (laughs) When did you first ask Jesus into your heart? Oh, gosh. Uh, First is a critical there because I did it many, many times. (laughs) just to be sure that the salvation had really stuck Mm. um i think the first time i really really remember Mm -hmm. was at a summer day camp when i was maybe seven or eight years old and i have this memory of like being in the 
park at my hometown. And it was these visiting kids missionaries that had set up like some kind of summer day camp. And of course they had like an altar call. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, kids, the way to go to heaven is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior um, Mm -hmm. and ask him into your heart. Uh, Do you want to do that? And then if so, close your eyes and pray this prayer along with us. And so you remember praying that prayer at like age seven or eight. Yeah, it's real vivid, that particular experience. It was absolutely not the only time I ever prayed that prayer because, (laughs) again, I worried it hadn't stuck. But that's the first time. You were worried like, okay, I clearly want to go to heaven. (laughs) I don't want to be off the heaven train. Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure that like I've sealed the deal. Yeah, or like maybe I didn't do it with the right motives the first time or pure enough heart or the first time maybe I was like, I was just caught up in the moment of like the joy of summer camp at seven years old. (laughs) How dare you? you? (laughs) Right. So like I felt like, oh, okay, it needs to be more authentic. So I did it a few more times. What about Mm. you? When I was growing up, we moved around quite a bit because my dad was in the military. We always went to... United Methodist churches, wherever we lived. Mm. But when I was 12 or 13, we started going to a quote unquote seeker sensitive church Uh in Ohio. And like Roxy, you wouldn't believe it, but they played guitars in worship. Man. It was so edgy. That is edgy. Our pastor wore like open toed sandals. He was just, yeah. That's so relevant. (laughs) His, his bare toes were so relevant. (laughs) And it was sometime around, I was just like really excited about this, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think it was eighth grade. Our youth group went to an event at a neighboring church for like a rally and Jeff Moore in the distance, CCM band played Uh, a concert. Yeah. yeah. Familiar. G-E-O-F-F. Very, very important. And at the end of the concert, a pastor got up and gave, you know, what I would later learn to be like a very traditional evangelistic message. And he asked people to stand up who wanted to accept Jesus for the first time. And at the time, I was so mindful of like the boys in the youth group thinking that I was dorky if I did this. (laughs) But in Uh that moment, I was like, no. I don't care what they think. I'm going to stand up. And as cheesy and as like cliched as that Mm -hmm. experience was, I really do think about it as like a genuine conversion experience. Yeah, absolutely. To me, that's, that's kind of where my journey into evangelical faith started, even if I wouldn't have called it that at the time. You were kind of a late bloomer. (laughs) Yeah. I talked to friends that are like, well, I accepted Jesus at age four. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I remember begging my mom at like eight or something, nine, like not long after the summer camp experience. Like I was like, I just really want to be able to take communion. Oh, and you know, mom's like, you're just not old enough. You need to wait just a little bit longer. Like, it was like so important to me to get to take communion. That is so cute. That's like the best kind of conversion. <laughs> I mean, I say that now, you know. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, yeah. I have different thoughts about it now as an adult, which is kind of what this episode is all about. What experiences or moments define 
that experience for you? Oh my gosh. Well, as did you, I grew up truly in like the height of sort of evangelicalism meets sort of consumer culture. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like really bad, but I grew up with that as, you know, we can critique it if you want, but I grew up with that in a sense of like, there was just so many like cool artifacts that I remember Mm -hmm. from that time period that were really defining for me, like Brio magazine, which was of course like an alternative to Teen Vogue or something, Mm -hmm. you know? So it was, and I loved it. I mean, I loved reading these like stories of girls who were like living their faith in school, but then there was also like beauty tips and, you know, (laughs) all of that. Gosh. I mean, I remember just like every morning before school, I'd be getting ready because I was in high school and getting ready for school takes a long time at that Mm. age. I wanted Um, my bangs to be curled perfectly and it definitely took 20 minutes. Yes. And I was like straightening my hair because of course curlier was like a no, no at the time. So, Oh gosh, girl, um, you lucked out. It is. It's come back. I curl hairs, whatever. But I spent all that time straightening my hair to DC talk and jars of clay. Mm -hmm. And I was extremely proud Mm. to be a Jesus freak. Yeah, me too. I thought that the Jesus freak album was maybe the best (laughs) album that had ever been recorded. Uh But it strikes me that so much of what it meant to be a young Christian in that time was like finding cool alternatives to whatever was mainstream. So DC Talk, Mm -hmm. that album kind of sounded a little bit like Nirvana. Yes. (laughs) And so all of that, I think for me, was actually really important for defining a sense of self and that accepting that Mm. I could be like different from my peers and be confident. I felt very similarly. Like it felt, I felt like I walked into school with a sense of purpose, Mm -hmm. like not just around academics and sports and these things that everybody else cared about, but I also had this sense of like, I'm different because I radically believe in Christ and going to see you at the pole or wearing my true love weights ring or like all of these things that were really intended to be these markers of just how faithful Mm -hmm. I was. And they were really important to Mm -hmm. me and really important in giving me a sense of standing out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember having this internal debate about my, what would Jesus do bracelet? Because on one hand I was like, this is kind of dorky. (laughs) Which, fair. (laughs) But on the other hand, I was like, no, I'm going to wear it. You are going to be a dork for Christ. (laughs) And mission accomplished. (laughs) Like, this real strong sense that I shouldn't care what other people think. I need Mm -hmm. to be out with my faith and just let people think what they will because that's part of what it means to be a Christian. Is like, people will mock you and persecute you. You'll Mm -hmm. be left out but that's like the sacrifice that you pay maybe that now that i think about it that mentality maybe bore some bad fruit that we'll get to later but i don't know i i think too just you know my youth pastor at the time was a young woman who was preparing for ministry and she was such a positive role model for me she Mm -hmm. preached at mm-hmm. church maybe every other month or something and took me to leadership trips like including to New York and that was really important to me as a young woman to see a model of leadership absolutely and maybe that wasn't common for like most evangelicals but I still am so grateful for that experience 
going back to Brio Magazine, I like wrote in an essay one year, this first year that they did kind of an overseas missions trip. And it was with Compassion International. And I got selected to go with these 30 other teen girls. And we went to Bolivia. And, you know, I can look back and I can find some mm-hmm. <laughs> some problems about the trip. I can see ways it was problematic for sure. But it was also like my first introduction to poverty mm. to a sense that like there's a lot of injustice in this world and there's a lot to care about in this world mm-hmm. and it really put me on a trajectory for even in my own career like it really put me on a trajectory to care about the social justice activist side of my faith and mm-hmm. that wouldn't have happened and that was something that I came back to high school like having had this experience that very few people at that age would have had and having this sort of like social conscience mm-hmm. that, you know, my faith in that and that culture gave me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a sense of thinking globally and being aware of how other people live and how other people suffer. I mean, for all that we could say about like short-term mission trips <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and maybe we will someday, like our church had a I think that church still has a relationship with an orphanage in Tijuana, Mexico. And we went there all the time to do service projects. And yeah, we were painting walls or tiling the floor. But that was my first exposure to poverty and shaped something important in me and my faith that is still true to this day. Yeah, same. So how did this positive treasured childhood become something we often feel cringy about today. Coming up, we'll explore when we started to see the cracks in the foundation of our faith identity. Right after these 30 seconds about RNS. RNS is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. Check out the newsletters and opinion pieces from all different perspectives and belief systems. From Karen Swallow Pryor's One Eye Squinted to Jeffrey Salkin's Martini Judaism, there's something for everyone. For the best in global religion reporting, visit religionnews.com. And hey, while you're in front of your computer, give us a shout. We love hearing from you and hearing what you think about the podcast. You can tweet to us using the hashtag SavedByTheCity, or you can email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief. I felt like if anyone was going to be speaking up, it was going to have to be somebody like me. Faithful conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity in Texas with Auburn Peterson of Another Story. Also, getting ready for the 2024 vote with Adam Friedman, organizing an election strategist at Interfaith Alliance. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. So clearly we both have this long history and not a little baggage with the word evangelical. But before we get to that baggage, we thought it would be interesting to hear what our neighbors think when they hear the E word. Right. It's not like our queasiness around the word arises in a vacuum. It comes from the associations and narratives that other people bring to the word whether they're right or wrong, we have to contend with them. Which is why we wanted to take to the streets of New York, specifically Washington Square Park, to ask our neighbors one question. What do you think of when you hear the word evangelical? Honestly, Roxy, this assignment made me nervous. <laughs> because yeah. not only is it uncomfortable to like go up to strangers in a park and talk, but 
how would they respond? What would they say? Would we get shouted down? And it was a busy, sunny day. And there was a lot going on in the park, including a fist fight that I stumbled into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not me, personally. I was not in the fight. Sure. I did not stumble <laughs> into a fight. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot going on that day. And honestly, I didn't know what to expect. I thought what we heard was more interesting than I expected. Let's give it a listen. What do you think of when you hear the word evangelical? Evangelical? Um, usually a Christian minister of some kind. Mm-hmm. I don't hear it associated with, with, with uh, Catholicism so much for some reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not sure. I just, that's what yeah. I Yeah, yeah. Do you have like connotations one way or the other, positive, neutral? No, I'm just an ignorant New York Jew. I, I, <laughs> you know, I don't know much about it. <laughs> I don't know much about the differences. That's great. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm happy for people to embrace any faith that's mm-hmm. going to connect them with God and make them a better person. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm all, all for all for people doing positivity and belief mm-hmm. and spirituality, religion, whatever religion it may be. What do you think of when you hear the word evangelical? That's uh, pretty loaded. Uh, I'm trying to be um, diplomatic. It doesn't generate a lot of positive emotions mm. when I hear the term evangelicals. Mm-hmm. My sort of political sensibilities and, you know, I feel a lot of hypocrisy mm-hmm. from, you know, members of that community. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I think it's one that's um, it's very challenging. Politically? Politically, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you hear a lot about the Falwells and I just, it's just, right. you know, the hypocrisy reeks. We're asking the question, when you hear the word evangelical, what comes to mind? I wish they would be like other religious groups. Okay. I mean, I just think that they're not religious when they have white supremacy on their minds. Jesus would not be happy. Uh, I mean, I think of Christianity. Yes. Yeah. Um, not really using critical thinking, I guess. Uh, I could be totally off, though. I need to, like, <laughs> I, that's, like I need to just look up the definition and make sure. But those are the assumptions that yeah. I have in my mind. Thank you. That's really all we needed. We're just looking yeah. for some sound. And I yeah. love your yeah. outfit. Top yeah. to bottom. What comes to mind when you hear the word evangelical? Oh, uh, well, let's see. If I'm going to free associate, you would think um, Christian. Sure. Well, I think of evangelism as, like, Billy Graham. Or um, speaking out to large masses of people about the the word. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word evangelical? Evangelical? Yeah. Um, fairies. Fairies? Yeah. Like 1800s. Ah. Uh. But also fairies for some reason. The forest with fairies <laughs> in it. First one, the thing that comes to my mind, uh, fanatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really don't think about it much, to be honest. Other people's, uh, if somebody's evangelical or Christian or Catholic or whatever, Muslim, you know, that's what they believe as long as they don't try and inflict it on me. Wondering what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word evangelical? Evangelic? Jesus Christ is on his way. Okay. <laughs> Say more. Yeah. <laughs> Which he could come right now. We do need it. <laughs> so please hurry up. 
absolutely. But that's what I think of. I think of peace. I think of harmony. I think of uh, eternal peace. Something yeah. calming, something soothing, something warm. Yeah. Yeah, something brave, something we need right now. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is evangelical Christianity. Like, I think of like the the, the Bible Belt, and like, uh, I mean, that's the context of the United States. So, if someone said evangelical, the first thing I would think would be more conservative, like Pat Robinson type uh, Republicans from you know Reagan era. Um, right. But as like, if someone's nowadays, if someone says evangelical. I mean, I think everyone's mind goes to like evangelical Christianity, but. Um, not to be prescriptive about it, I guess, like, there's obviously a lot of other, you can be, you know, the product of evangelization, and, like, my family's Muslim, so, like, there's also uh, some notion of, like, you know, evangelical, like, Islam, or... Like, sharing the faith within yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Islam, right, so, right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thank, thank you, you both so much. Favorite I'll say one thing. I wasn't expecting fairies. Yeah, still thinking about the fairies. Not entirely sure what was going through her mind, but I I accept it. Did she think angelic? Like evangelic and somehow angels and fairies are like the same kind of celestial beings in her mind. Fairies are in the forest though, <laughs> as she noted. She she did note that it was a really interesting day, very informative, and honestly, I'd kind of want to hang out with some of those people more. Yeah, I'd play chess with a few of those people we talked to. I just need to learn how to play chess first. I think we both get schooled. So, Caitlin, when did the cracks really first start to show for you? When did you feel yourself starting to really question this evangelical culture that you'd grown up with? Was it 2016? <laughs> you know, I'm sure there were times, you know, working at Christianity Today yeah, where sure. like, I, I felt frustrated by leaders in the evangelical movement or I felt frustrated by some of the political dimensions of the movement. But I think working at CT, I always gave evangelicals the benefit of the doubt. Like these aren't core evangelicals or like this isn't really mm -hmm. evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. Those are the fringe ones. Those are the kind of They don't speak for the whole uncle. The crazy yeah. uncle. The crazy uncles don't speak for the whole family. Mm -hmm. And then 2016 was a really interesting year. Mm -hmm. I was leaving CT. I decided to step away. My last day at CT was the day that the news about the Access Hollywood tape broke. Oh, wow. I was packing up my office, like shutting everything down, relieved, like, Ugh, I, I can just get a break from the news cycle. And one of my colleagues came to my office and he was like, did you see the news? Mm. I was like, no. And he said, you know, Donald Trump was caught on tape bragging about sexual assault. And my first thought was, I'm not really surprised given all that we know about this candidate. And then my second thought was, I'm so glad I don't have to think about this. Like, I can just kind of step away and then I was pulled into this new cycle of, like, how are evangelical women responding? Mm -hmm. That was the first time that Beth Moore really, like, spoke right. out. Right. It was this watershed moment. I think what was so alarming and unsettling about that story was how many evangelical leaders didn't say anything. There was this silence 
or did some work to try to make it not such a big deal? He's a baby Christian. We've all it's made mistakes. Talk. You know, if all of us had a tape on us at different mm-hmm. times, I'm like, that's a really disturbing thing to say because it makes oh, me is think this that what all the evangelical <laughs> men are saying when they're in locker rooms. Like this was a long time. I mean, all the rationalization that went into explaining that away and that continued on. And I think in a lot of ways that rationalization, I thought when I first heard it, that was the death knell uh, among evangelicals yes. for Trump. A hundred percent. And CT ran an op-ed essentially saying, don't vote for Trump a couple days later. And I thought, surely, you know, wow, this flagship evangelical magazine has like spoken out against him. They'll sway enough people to like see who this person really is and who this candidate is and call us back to these foundational beliefs. And then it didn't make a difference at all. Was that year when you also began to see the cracks or was it a different time? Gosh, it was just such a clarifying moment. The Access Hollywood tape was as big of a deal for me as it was for you. Like it was just devastating. Mm -hmm. I mean, I watched Mm -hmm. how much evangelicals attacked Bill Clinton for an affair with a woman. So surely this would be it. So data nerd here. Mm Mm-hmm. Not long after that, a poll came out and it had asked Americans, like, how important is character to your political candidate? Mm -hmm. Evangelicals had been the group that were most likely out of anybody to say that character mattered. Mm -hmm. And then they had just redone the poll. It was a poll they did every four years. And it had been an absolute flip-flop that Mm -hmm. evangelicals were now the least likely group to say that character mattered in their president or in their political candidate. And I... Like after Trump. Yeah, now that Trump was the candidate, it was right. like, oh no, character doesn't matter. Like It's pragmatic. I just, He's just going to get the job done. I was so floored because there was just no way to hide the hypocrisy there. Mm-hmm. There was no way to hide it or rationalize it. Or mm-hmm. it's like, you cannot say every time a Democrat is up for election that character matters so much which is why you're voting for the republican and then when a republican is up for election you say oh character doesn't matter because this president has some questionable character the hypocrisy was so evident to me and you could not close your eyes to that Mm -hmm. that was a big blow for me yeah i i felt so personally disappointed and when all these exit polls came out about how many white evangelicals voted for trump and you know, flip-flopped on questions of character, it was personally, existentially painful for me. Because it wasn't just, wow, these people are inconsistent out there. It was like, I feel like these are my people. My people, yeah. This is the faith community that raised me and taught me to love Jesus and taught me to love neighbor and taught me to care about people who are suffering and taught me that character matters What happened to my people? And all of the reasons that I felt uncomfortable about Donald Trump as a presidential candidate and about him and his politics, I learned in evangelical churches. Right. Right. So, yeah, I think part of the narrative that you sometimes pick up is like people who were affected negatively by 
the 2016 election, well, they've walked away from the faith or like their beliefs right. have changed. They're out of the fold. But I kind of feel like the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it was the people in the fold betrayed their own values. Absolutely. That's how I feel. I mean, it was, I mean, I remember when Mark Galley, we just former, keep talking editor, CT, former editor in chief of CT, former editor in chief of CT on his way out the door. Now wrote, a Catholic. And, interestingly enough, wrote an editorial that was like, mm-hmm. against Donald Trump. And I remember the visceral feeling of just, relief and like mm-hmm. understanding or, or really like feeling like I was just waiting for this and this mm-hmm. feels like sanity mm-hmm. and I have felt you know the word gaslit maybe gets overused these days but it felt like all of this like mental gymnastics that evangelical leaders had done Mm-hmm. in order to support a candidate that was so against their own values mm-hmm. felt like gaslighting to me. And then it was like, when I read Galley's editorial, I was like, Oh, I'm mm-hmm. not crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes, this is what we're supposed to be thinking. You know, mm-hmm. but there was like, almost like a relief, like, okay. Some of the people who have shaped me are like consistent and they're mm-hmm. saying what needs yeah. to be said. Exactly. And they're not letting, the loud gaslighting voices dominate the conversation. But I also just think there was a lot of silence. When I look back at this season in evangelicalism, I think that will be one of the biggest indictments is this idea, like so many seeker sensitive churches felt like they could be apolitical. Like, Mm -hmm. we don't want to talk about politics. That just divides people. We're just all about the gospel here. Mm -hmm. And I think lacking this understanding or awareness or just naive in that just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean that the people in your pews aren't getting discipled in some Mm -hmm. way. Like, there are so many ways Mm -hmm. that people are being discipled politically. And if you're not actively helping people from your pulpit, Mm -hmm. then they are being exposed to a world that they are not equipped for in a biblical way. Mm-hmm. And obviously wow, that got in the weeds, but <laughs> well, and obviously pastors are like, well, I can't endorse, I can't endorse sure. political candidates from the pulpit. That doesn't mean that core central issues of the day involving human dignity and flourishing are off topic because they have a political dimension. You know, it's easy to beat up on Trump. You know, it's easy to make it all yeah. about Trump, and it's not. And I think that that mm. now that Trump is not in office anymore, I think it's really clear that it was not all just about him. Like, he right. was, like, a symptom of mm. a deeper problem and mm-hmm. that he was a convenient mm-hmm. scapegoat for that, a convenient person to beat up on. Mm-hmm. But I remember, for example, a very vivid memory of being at my WeWork office right near Gramercy and getting a new data set in uh, from this new poll that we had done. And I remember like looking through it, skimming through the cross tabs and just kind of leaning back in my chair and looking at my coworker and going, why are evangelicals the worst? Mm-hmm. Like every in, one in of what these way? questions, they're on the wrong side of it from what mm. I would think having grown up with 
the values that I was taught in those churches. Like, mm-hmm. why are they super negative on immigration? Why are they super negative on poverty reform, on Black Lives Matter, on like all of these issues that had to do with the common good mm-hmm. and evangelicals were always just lockstep in sync with the Republican party on every one of them. Mm-hmm. And to me that felt like this is a vote for Republicanism and not for biblical values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The immigration one really gets me mm-hmm. because there is me such too. a clear biblical argument about welcoming the stranger and taking in people who are dispossessed. I don't know how we got from the biblical values that we were taught as children and growing up to care for your neighbor, to care for the poor, to bring in the marginalized, to sacrifice your comfort for the greater good Mm -hmm. to what we ended up with. It's hard. It, It breaks my heart. Yeah. When you're heartbroken about this faith community that formed you in such a deep way and such a positive way in the past and that you feel like has betrayed you, what do you do with that? Like, where do you go? You make a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like the big question here is, would you still call yourself an evangelical? I don't know. (laughs) I know. I mean, I also don't know. (laughs) So in terms of core spiritual beliefs i'm still i'm still down with the quadrilateral (laughs) right like maybe i would nuance it here and there a little Uh bit but yeah Yeah, like for sure whether or not i would say i'm an evangelical now i would definitely say i grew up in evangelicalism and that that is the faith context that has most clearly defined my faith identity and i can't just abandon that completely because it's part of who i am and it's part of how i grew up in conversations with like a person in New York or something, like on a date or a neighbor or something, I might just say like, I'm a Christian. So I think my answer is in my heart, yes. Depending on who I'm talking to, no. How would you answer the question? It just comes with so much cultural baggage at this point that it would be very hard for me to um, claim it. Mm-hmm. But like you said, like I can't erase how much of a massive influence it's had on my life. Mm-hmm. That's the story that I know. That's the narrative that I know. Those are all of the teachings that I know. Like that's my journey. Where do we go from here in terms of what kind of community we affiliate with and our relationship to the quote unquote evangelical movement? Do we cut ties altogether? Do we try to reform from within? Something in between? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. You know, I spent most of my career in it. I left working for an evangelical organization, but I didn't go to like a secular social research firm. I went to religion news service where I continue to report on these things. And so I feel like I am still in a place where I want to speak into the life and faith and beliefs of evangelicals. 
That's mm-hmm. why we started a podcast. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not like I've jumped ship. What about you? Yeah, I don't even, I don't know that I can jump ship completely. I mean, I certainly right? know lots of people who would say, like, I grew up evangelical and I've totally, that's yeah. not me. Like, I've totally rejected it all. I feel like there are still ties to it. I mean, I go to an Episcopal church that is pretty theologically, this is always loaded language, um, confessional. What matters to me is not so much like, is this an evangelical church? It's more like, do I get to take communion every week and participate Mm -hmm. in worship that has been around for centuries and like be part of like a living body? Mm -hmm. So in my personal spiritual life, it doesn't really matter if like, am I an evangelical or not? But certainly professionally, I still feel some kind of responsibility to reform or change or shape. And I don't, I don't think that I can really sever the ties in the ways that other people understandably have. Yeah. So do you think we're like, now we're missionaries to evangelicals? (laughs) I mean, putting aside like, all the issues with like missionary (laughs) (laughs) models. Uh Yeah. I mean, there is some element of like wanting to convert or save Mm -hmm. or redeem or Mm -hmm. I'm going to put it in my LinkedIn profile missionary to evangelicals. (laughs) I feel it a little bit. It's not all that I think about. It's not my Mm -hmm. life's work. But I still consider, like, the continuous calling back of my people Mm -hmm. to what I believe are the teachings of our youth, the teachings that, you know, our first love, like Jesus and his teachings. Mm -hmm. So I definitely still consider that to be a significant aspect of my work and calling. It's almost like evangelicalism itself needs to be born again. (gasps) Amen. Hallelujah. Mm. Jesus, let it be so. If any of you feel so moved by this episode, we want you to raise your hands, close your eyes. Mm. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. Through the Spirit of God who can work through time and space, we see your hands raised. See the hand in the back. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Thank you all. Yeah. Thank you listeners for listening to this really intense and personal episode. <laughs> we are glad you joined us and we will be back in a week with more guests and questions. Get in touch with us. You can tweet us at the hashtag say by the city and we will get it and reply. We do want to hear from you. So make sure you tweet us at hashtag say by the city. Or email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. Saved by the City is a Religion News Service production. The executive producer is Jay Woodward. Our associate producer is Elizabeth Joy Windham. And our consulting editor, Paul O'Donnell. Chaz Rousseau put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Caitlin Beatty. And Roxy Stone. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.